Hello, friends, and welcome to Sew Poetry. <sighs> How's everyone doing? Uh, that feels kind of a loaded question right now, because uh, I feel like whenever people ask me that, it's kind of I have to qualify it and couch it with a lot with a lot of uh, qualifiers and relatives and in relation to other things. Um, but I, um, I sincerely hope that everyone is doing okay. I mean, I know no one's good right now, but I hope okay is, a, is at least attainable. Because um, this is a really uh, anxious and stressful and confusing and pretty objectively terrifying time that we're living through right now. Uh, it feels kind of unprecedented uh, in the vast majority of our lifetimes for this type of thing to be happening right now, but um, here we are. Um, I know that uh, a lot of people in the U.S. are currently home, or if you are uh, one of the, <laughs> some of the select few that are deemed uh, essential to keeping shit running here. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, for constantly going out and putting yourself in a position that, you know, is a lot more tenuous than a lot of ours, I guess physically, but I, like financially it's tenuous for a ton of other people. Um, so I hope that the, you all have been able to hold on to jobs or able to work from home or you know, have people you can lean on for help right now, because I think that that's kind of really what we need. Um, we need people looking out for other people, and we need um, people helping each other in any ways that they can, uh, which is kind of the impetus behind this episode. Um, this is not the episode that I had planned to have next uh, for so poetry, but given the sort of massive disruption um, that COVID-19 has had on the world, uh, as I'm sure every one of you are aware of, things happen and things change. Um, but I was—I've been thinking a lot about um, like what I can do to help. Um, and it doesn't really feel like a lot right now, but uh, being in a position of uh, being a podcaster um, and having access to a lot of really amazing artists, um, I started thinking about something that I could do to help kind of bridge some of the, um, I don't know, the distance uh, that people are living through right now because it's a whole lot of social social ah, social isolation um, and you know like video chatting and Netflix partying and just doing things to allow us to maintain some semblance of connection with other people uh, and not be totally lost to just you know hunkering down and 
going into kind of anxiety panic mode and uh, existing on the sort of like base needs level of, you know, like what happens when you hit scarcity and you hit, uh, you hit really, really difficult, hard times. Um, so I came up with an idea of, um, reaching out to my past guests and asking them if they would be willing to record themselves reading a poem, um, or in the case of, of, uh, one of the submitters, uh, just something, uh, it was a, it's a prose piece, um, that gives them peace or makes them feel connected to themselves, to others, to the world at large, to the poetry or literary community to, or whatever, um, or fills them with, you know, some sort of passion or wonder or courage to just kind of face uh, whatever else or whatever other thing that <laughs> uh, life sees fit to kind of place in our paths. Um, and then I would stitch, weave, mosaic them into sort of just a collaborative, uh, reading. Um, so that's what I did. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get uh, a number of people responding and, um, I guess grateful for an opportunity to, to, to do this, to, to be a part of an attempt to uh, commiserate with others in a more positive or, I don't know, maybe at the very least a, a more still or more quiet or more peaceful or contemplative way than just being able to commiserate without somebody else because, you know, you were feeling the same anxiety that, that they are. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm a huge proponent and a huge believer in the... Um, the bridging quality of uh, bridging aspects and qualities of art, um, and I think especially poetry, there's something about it that it's able to get to the heart of things, and by doing so, is able to connect sort of the hearts of things to the hearts of other people, connect the hearts of other people to the hearts of other people. Um, so. Um, I'm not entirely sure how long this episode's going to last, uh, but I really hope that it, it it's something that, that brings you, the listeners, um, some sense of comfort or peace or stillness or you know, just a bright spot in an otherwise really dark and uh, tumultuous sea of just kind of shit that's, that's happening. Um, I mean, I know personally, I've been I've been leaning really, really hard on uh, Animal Crossing streams because it's you know I, when I come home from work because I am weirdly and I guess fortunate in a fortunate yes in a weird way too also um, people whose jobs are deemed essential so I'm you know I've been going to work which has been normal and very weird because it has feel, felt normal in a time when it shouldn't feel normal. I, I don't know. I've, I've been trying to unpack that the last couple of, I guess, the last week. 
um, when things really started to, at least in Maryland, really started to like tighten up and close down. Um, but like, it's nice at night, you know, before I go to bed or when I get home from work and I need a little bit of time to just sort of, you know, decompress and let some of the anxiety that I, I face with just kind of going out in the world every day, just kind of let that, that, that ease away, um, to have something that I can just kind of empty into a little bit. Um, and I hope this episode provides a similar opportunity for those who need it and, you know, provides, I don't know, bolstering for people who need that too, because we kind of need, uh, well, I think all the help that we can get right now. Um, so with all that being said, um, we're going to kick things off with a very, very dear friend of mine, uh, Mary Adele. A Telepathic Communion with Dino by Adrienne Marie Brown. AMB. Dino? Dino? I'm trying telepathy to reach you because a lot is going on that I could use some ancient insight on. And frankly, I don't know when I'll be allowed in the Chicago airport again. <clears throat> Dino. I'm here. AMB. Wow. Wow, I feel you. Dino, smiling. I'm always available, but if I explained how, it might mess up our whole thing. AMB. Like I told Santa, I choose the magic. Dino. Every time. So, are you here to tell me where the masses have gone? Adrian. You noticed? Dino. I almost exclusively see in patterns these days. The river is a stream. The stream becoming a drizzle. Me. There's a virus. It passes with no symptoms hides inside us for two weeks, and it's bigger than our healthcare system. Dino, nefarious, everywhere? Adrian, at first it wasn't, but now it really is. So we're all staying home to try and slow it down while we find cures, vaccines, face masks, ventilators. Thousands of people are dying. Dino, I'm so sorry to hear that. Adrian, hesitant. Is it our asteroid, Dino? Dino, pausing a moment. You're really scared, huh? Adrian, terrified. Dino, but isn't this your thing? Change, apocalypse, the collapse of capitalism, right relationship to the earth? AMB, totally, but I don't want to lose the people I love, and I can't make everyone stay home. I've tried, and I don't want to die yet. Dino takes a deep breath. It's hard when death comes in big waves, so much grief all at once. Adrian, and for what? Earth is getting this brief moment of respite, respiration, but so many bosses are still endangering their workers and plotting ways to capitalize this crisis. Is this the end of capitalism or the beginning of global authoritarian rule or extinction or liberation? What are we meant to learn? Dino, whoa, hey now. It generally doesn't help to make too much meaning of things that are still unfolding. From within the storm, vision is limited. And you, my friend, you and your species are in the storm. Adrian. But deeper meaning helps me get through the hard parts of life. Dino. Hmm. Adrian. I need something to control. A narrative will do an absence of order, safety. I think I'll become useless without meaning. The grief, the fear, anxiety, suspicion, xenophobia 
the blur of my empathetic self feeling everything. I need something to root into. Dino, I feel your chaos. Perhaps instead of meaning, it's time to revisit destiny. Adrian, the destiny of Earthseed is to take root amongst the stars. Mmm, says Dino. Adrian, Octavia Butler wrote that. Dino, she was always nice to me. Adrian, that's amazing. I've been thinking her destiny, rethinking her destiny, or our way of understanding it. Dino, say more. Adrian, I always thought it purely meant space travel, but she struggled with sequels because no world she found in her imagination was as right for us as Earth. And on Earth, we are amongst the stars here and now. This is a perfect home spinning in space. We may even be celestial to someone else. Dino mulling it over. Hmm. Adrian, I think we need to root here. Reroute. Choose here. Dino, perhaps. Or maybe all of this, this way of being on Earth or in space, just isn't your destiny. Meaning, maybe human destiny isn't the most important thing. Adrian, sad eyes. Now you say more. Dino, I often think that we are all experiments of an Earth figuring out her destiny. She likes living things. She likes sentient creatures that love and make family and eat. In our experiment, she learned she wanted a species that could look up to the stars, defend her from asteroids. Adrian, oh wow. So our experiment could be teaching her to not let evil people accumulate all the power and money? Dino, chuckling, perhaps. Adrian, or Dino, perhaps it's just time to see how what you call evil, what I call wrong relationship, how that can spread, can disconnect a species from its future. Adrian, right, it's like the virus itself, invisible, but making the wrong structures and systems and beliefs so visible. Dino, we can never teach how evil a thing is better then it will show us itself with time, Adrian. But it's in all of us, or most of varying degrees, this I, I, I exceptionalism, Dino. Hmm. Adrian, sorry, I want to let a new perspective. It's just that all the problems are so big and intertwined, and I'm supposed to be one of the hopeful ones. Dino, what was that? Adrian, what? Dino, that tone you sound adrian sharp sorry that happens when i'm trying to be funny but i feel something else sad scared grief dino ah humans tone is the tip of your internal icebergs quiet together for a while dino tell me something can you imagine being sad and scared and still feeling hopeful adrian it's hard dino can i offer something adrian please Dino, it's not an asteroid. Adrian, shoulders dropping. Oh. Dino, hope, hopefulness. That's the realm of the survivors. It's not too late for y'all. Grief shows up what we love. Grief shows us what we love, what we want most to protect. It swallows everything extraneous, and so much of what you love is still here. And tomorrow is another miraculous opportunity to change, to protect it. Adrian, dang, Dino. Dino, ha, I guess I've been a little scared too. I don't want you to give in, give up. 
Adrian hugging Dino's telepathic neck for a good cry. Dino gently into Adrian's telepathic hair. We're all rooting for you, you know, all the extinct ones. We're all at your backs. You humans have so much beauty in you. Adrian sniffly. There is so much superhumanity and kindness and humility and change happening and humor and dancing online across all borders and caretaking and new kinds of honesty and heroic communal isolation and choosing to protect the future. Dino, very good. That's life. Grieve like the trees in October, but don't forget your nature and spring is certain. Adrian, I am glad to know we can be together in this way. Dino, me too. Isolated is one perspective of this moment. Deeply connected is another. Adrian, love you, Dino. Dino, love you too. Hi, everybody. This is Danielle Ariano, and I'm going to be reading a poem that is by Otis C. Williams, Jr. Um, it was a poem that he wrote, um, and I think he wrote it, he gave it to his wife on his 56th birthday, and he said, I don't know why I just wrote this, you know, I feel fine, I just felt like saying it, and then eight months later, he was dead. Um, the wife sent the poem, um, to Robert Penn Warren, and he, um, got it published for a wider audience. So here it is, and it is called For Your Future Reference. One, what can I promise you of all the things I would have liked to promise you now that I have passed over to the other side? So swiftly and so smoothly, suddenly, there was only one momentary stabbing pain, and I had no time to think of myself or what was happening to me, but only of you. What will become of you, he thought, like a concerned bystander, stripped or relieved of all human feeling, as no one still living can be relieved. Would she be all right? What can I promise you? Only that you may keep me as long as you can, and I will be. And for your future reference, I can promise you that it does not hurt, and it is not dark, because there is no light. It is only different. Strange that I think if I could feel anything, I would miss you very much. But you must know that I have not gone away to anywhere. It is only you who have stayed where we once were. 2. Death does not seem to affect me the way I thought it would. There is no lack of awareness that I am dead. The lamps are lighted in the house next door. The geese flew months ago, and I have trouble remembering what happened yesterday, but no trouble remembering long ago. There is a dull grayness, numbness, not unpleasant, and it is all in black and white. I used to dream in black and white. It is not reasonable to expect that I would be dead in color. So it is not what I thought it might be when I said long ago, the worst thing I could think of would be to be dead and not know. It is different. 
I know because I cannot now feel the lights next door, and there are no lamps lighted in my house, and the geese I did not watch for long enough when they flew, I cannot bring back, not back in time to watch again and make a difference. If I were wishing any more, I would wish the lamps lit here, the geese winging endlessly so I could watch, and that I could be dead in color. Hi, this is Mandy May. I'm going to be reading Blessing the Boats by Lucille Clifton. May the tide that is entering even now the lip of our understanding carry you out beyond the face of fear. May you kiss the wind then turn from it, certain that it will love your back. May you open your eyes to water, water waving forever. And may you and your innocence sail through this to that. Wash your hands. Hi, this is Maggie Royer. I'm a 25-year-old poet from Minnesota, and I'm going to be reading When You Are Old by William Butler Yeats. I've loved this poem for a really long time, and it always makes me feel calm. When You Are Old by William Butler Yeats. When you are old and gray and full of sleep and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true. But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face and bending down beside the glowing bars murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. Hi, So Poetry listeners. Uh, hi, Michael. This is J.P. Allen. I'm a poet and a translator. And I'm not going to read a poem. I'm going to read an excerpt from a short story by one of my very favorite children's authors of all time whose books I grew up with. Her name is Tova Janssen. She's Finnish, and this is in translation from Finnish. It's part of her series that she's really well known for, which is the Moomin Troll books. This is from a book called Tales from Moomin Valley, and it's a series of short stories. And this one is not about the Moomins, but about their friend, Snufkin. The Moomins hibernate all winter, and Snufkin kind of wanders around and camps out and does his own thing. So this one's about Snufkin, and it's called The Spring Tune. One calm and cloudless evening toward the end of April, Snufkin found himself far enough to the north to see still unmelted patches of snow on the northern slopes. He had been walking all day through undisturbed landscapes, listening to the cries of the birds also on their way northwards, home from the south, Walking had been easy, because his knapsack was nearly empty, and he had no worries on his mind. He felt happy about the wood and the weather, and himself. Tomorrow and yesterday were both at a distance, and just at present the sun was shining brightly red between the birches, and the air was cool and soft. It's the right evening for a tune, Snufkin thought. A new tune, one part expectation, 
two parts spring sadness, and for the rest, just the great delight of walking alone and liking it. He had kept this tune under his hat for several days, but hadn't quite dared to take it out yet. It had to grow into a kind of happy conviction. Then, he would simply have to put his lips to the mouth organ and all the notes would jump instantly into their places. If he released them too soon, they might get stuck crossways and make only a half-good tune. Or he might lose them altogether and never be in the right mood to get hold of them again. Tunes are serious things, especially if they have to be jolly and sad at the same time. But this evening, Snufkin felt rather sure of his tune. It was there, waiting, nearly full-grown, and it was going to be the best he ever made. Then, when he arrived in Moomin Valley, he'd sit on the bridge rail and play it, and Moomin Troll would say at once, That's a good one. Really a good one. Snufkin stopped in his tracks, feeling just a little uneasy. Yes, Moomin Troll. Always waiting and longing. Moomin Troll who sat at home, who waited for him and admired him, and who always told him, Of course you have to feel free, Naturally, you must go away. I do understand that you have to be alone at times. And all the while, his eyes were black with disappointment, and no one could help it. Oh my, oh my, Snufkin said to himself, and continued on his way. Oh my, oh my, he's got such a lot of feelings, this Moomin troll. I won't think of him now. He's a splendid Moomin, but I don't have time to think of him now. Tonight, I'm alone with my tune and tonight isn't tomorrow. In a little while, Snufkin had managed to forget all about Moomin Troll. He was sniffing around for a good place to camp in, and when he heard a brook a bit farther on in the wood, he went towards the sound. The last red ray of sunlight had vanished between the birches. Now came the spring twilight, slow and blue. All the wood was changed, and the white pillars of the birches went wandering farther and farther off in the blue dusk. The brook was a good one. And if you want to find out what happens with Snufkin and his tune, you should definitely go pick up a copy of Tales from Moomin Valley. Hi, I'm Joanna Valente, and I'm going to read some poems by Eleni Vakalov from her book Description of the Body, which was published in... 1959. The body you see with simple limbs, some knowing what to call each separately and together how they pass in bands you hadn't noticed in motion and other points all over the body to which you've never given a thought. Beginning an emotion you no longer know it as simply as you knew it before. It is touch, watching huge blind eyes graze over the body, each naked of its lid whole embeds in the body, watching afterward. From there, tranquil, soaked in itself, it doesn't fight the body, but distracts, tastes, from the mouth peels the print off the palm, draining sight from the gaze. It is bad, doesn't feel our pain.
This one is called First Dance Move. The body writhes, it doesn't suffer. It is the only thing that in hurting feels pleasure. The body doesn't feel our pain, bound, ready, and willing. It listens first, wants to listen. Hollowing in its body constantly new chambers of hearing. Then it waits, more willing from fear. It multiplies, it hides in the depths of each chamber, more ready from fear, willing. It anticipates the desire that commands and brings that command to motion. Dark, dull hide of the prey still unconquered within us. The body you see with simple limbs, some again at rest, with slight constant tremors. The dull light bodies collect, and the other from the sun they hide. On days that suddenly turn dark, conceives the great silent proliferations in our sleep of the lives of leaves, and those footprints that vanish as emerging from the sea at noon, you walk on the clean shore. At all hours, our bodies sketch around us immense, immense overlapping circles of the footprints of beasts. Thank you. I hope that brought you some relief in a strange time. And also, Eleni is an amazing poet. My name is Christine No, and this is How Wondrous Strange It Was at That Moment to Be in the Flesh by Milena Morling. The year we lived in our car, there were clouds above us like mountains that did not weigh anything. There were voices rising through the static singing San Diego Serenade or Benedictus Kevinit. And once, Hardenberger played an Albanoni trumpet solo somewhere in Ohio, and you, sitting behind the wheel, turned to me and said, It's like slicing butter in heaven. How wondrous strange it was at that moment to be in the flesh. Far off, fleets of clouds moved over the grass, and on the ground, their shadows that will never be aloft raced after them. And everywhere we looked, there were dandelions, those lights that have grown up out of the earth. Hi everyone, my name is Karen Smith and I will be reading A Bat on the Road by Seamus Heaney. It has an epigraph. A bat-like soul waking to consciousness of itself in darkness and secrecy and loneliness. You would hoist an old hat on the tines of a fork and trawl the mouth of the bridge for the slight bat-thump and flutter. Skinny downy webs, baby nails clawing the sweatband. But don't bring it down. Don't break its flight again. Don't deny it. This time, let it go free. Follow its bat-flap under the stone bridge, under the Midland and Scottish Railway, and lose it there in the dark. Next thing, it shadows moon-slicked laurels, or skims the lapped net on the tennis court. Next thing, it's ahead of you in the road, 
What are you after? You keep swerving off, flying blind over ash pits and netting wire, invited by the brush of a word like peignoir. Rustles and glimpses, shot silk, the stealth of floods, so close to me I could hear her breathing. And there by the lighted window behind trees, it hangs in creepers matting the brickwork, and now it's a wet leaf blowing in the drive, now soft-deckled, shadow convolvulus by the white gates. Who would have thought it at the white gates? She let them do whatever they liked. Cling there as long as you want. There is nothing to hide. Hello. Um, this is Stanford here. And I will be reading an English translation of a poem by the Japanese poet Sayaka Osaki. It is titled Rice Steamer. There was an artist I used to love, but I forgot who it was. There was a song I used to love, but I forgot what it was. Not sure what to do. I cooked some rice in the steamer, even though I don't like those damn machines. No one knows the weather on the day they were born. No one can talk with people who died the day they were born. I decide to put my faith in something someone told me. The toilet paper has run out, so I go look for some more. Night falls as I'm looking for a means of resistance. Morning dawns as I am preoccupied with living long. I forgot what I was going to say, so I took your hand. You who were breathing right there in front of me. The words you write across the pages of your notebook are not the same as the words in the book which made me cry. You might think it is strange, but that thought made me so happy. I laughed out loud. I will probably say whatever I want about the weather on the day you were born. I will probably exaggerate and make mistakes about the people who died the day you were born. At first, you'll be shocked and believe me completely. Soon, you'll decide not to trust me at all. The fact you won't trust me gives me courage as I live here with my rice steamer. I'm fine, even though I forget the paintings I love. I have faith in my savage soul. We spread out a blue plastic sheet, and on it, we line up the rice balls and other things we brought home. You say it's like we're picnicking under the cherry blossoms, and as you do, you live. Hi there, I'm Meredith Purvis, and I'm going to be reading The Same Thing by Ada Limon. I chose this poem because I love Ada Limon's writing. Um, 
And also because although this was written in 2010, or at least published in 2010, there are lines in this poem that I think could have been written today, yesterday, two weeks ago. Um, That feeling that we've all been going through of first surprise or even a lack of awareness followed by surprise, followed by surely it can't be that bad, followed by it is that bad, and the remarkable moments of solidarity and the feeling of connection that I think we, most of us, many of us, have been experiencing. Um, And it is so nicely summed up here. The same thing. There's an awful story in the news. For days you cannot sleep. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's just a story in the news. Not another human. Not a whole country. Not another animal. Just a piece of paper. Then you feel a little better. You go to the train and wear your headphones. You listen to a sad song that sounds familiar. You pass a store window and there's someone you don't know walking where you're walking. Heels, a summer dress, hair tied up too fancy for the week. The television says tomorrow night they will shed some light on hell. How far do we need to search for some bad thing? Hell is not beneath us, not a bargaining chip with your children. You come home on the train and you have bought gifts and tried to be decent. This is how your life will go. You know that, day after day. Awful acceptance, the soft life of your footprints. You start to think of the alternative. You shake your real shirt off in the hallway. Would it be the same if you were born in Mexico? Life. Cuba, Ireland, 1974. You miss everyone. Even the people you read about today you didn't know, their faces on the brain as if on paper. You sit on the balcony, which is really a fire escape, but you call it the balcony to make it sound better. You wear the slip your grandmother gave you 15 years ago. The weather is nice, California nice. You sing a little, call your family. You think, things aren't so bad. You say you love the world, so love the world. Maybe you don't even say it for yourself. Maybe you move your mouth like everyone moves their mouth. Maybe your mouth is the same mouth as everyone's, all trying to say the same thing.